Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. I'm Ryan Brady, sitting here with Chris Mercer in Evanston, Illinois. We have a very, very special guest today, member of the Moody Blues, a founding member, in fact, member of Ginger Baker's Air Force, a member of Wings, if not the backbone of Wings, Mr. Denny Lane. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How are you? Thanks for coming out, Denny. We, My pleasure. We want to do something different for our listeners today. We want to, we know you get asked the questions about Go Now, mm-hmm. about Band on the Run, about all the things that you've answered a million times. We want to dig into your solo career. We want to dig into deep cuts. We want to go through everything basically chronologically and just see where we go. Sounds good. Excellent. I'm totally into that. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Before we get in and dive into every album chronologically, we want to start right now, this year, 2017, you have a brand new single, Meant to Be and Over the Horizon, with Ron Pullman. Yeah. Meant to Be. Whenever dark shadows come out of the Well, the whole thing it was, to, as I said before, Ron's a friend of mine. He's, he's got a little bit of a thing with music going mm. on the side. He wanted me to play on his album. I said no, but I will. I was at his house and we got had a few drinks and we wrote, came up with an idea for a song. And he, I said, well, that's a good title. And then while he was at work, I wrote the song Meant to Be. Mm-hmm. He came back, gave me a couple of lines, to add to it, and right. that was that. Then I took a, one of his songs, put a few extra chords in it, and a few extra words, so the opposite way around to right. what he did on my... And then Ron being Ron got it together. We got in the studio with my band, which has actually started out to be the Peter Asher band. Okay. With Brian Poddy on guitar and uh, Steve Aho on drums. It's a is, good band. Yeah, really good band. And, and they... You know, and then Alex uh, Jaws on keyboards is a younger, real younger guy. Actually, uh, Steve Arjo's the younger. And then Eric Pavarotti, who's actually related to the Sinatra family. His, his wife oh. is um, Nancy Sinatra's daughter. You know, and he he's also an actor, and he got me on the Decca series, for example, recently. And that's the band. And so 
I got them as as by default really because two of Peter's guys I was using one of them went out with Neil Neil Diamond and the other one went out with Peter as a duo kind of thing doing Peter Ash's memoirs so mm-hmm. I didn't I got new people to replace them that's really what happened that became mm-hmm. what we call the Denny Lane band and uh, yeah. and because we'd been doing touring doing the Band on the Run album and the uh, Moody Blues album. We hadn't done that yet, but we're working on it, and we have since done it live. That band was ideal for going in the studio. I mean, I was going to do it with Lawrence Juba and a few uh, session guys at one time, um, but then that fell through, and I just thought, well, I don't just do my own band, which I did. Is that pretty much live in the studio? Yeah, it totally. sounds. But but afterwards, live in the studio, yeah, it was. It's and it's such like a good second sound. take really or something. Yeah. So and the second, the second time round. See what happened was I just sent them the demo with me and the acoustic guitar. Yeah. That's all I did. Mm-hmm. And and when we went in there, I said because I know their their capabilities as a band because we do do this with Wings and Moody Blues music too. I allow them to have other you know, solos or whatever, yeah. add things to. And then, um, so I said, okay, long intro, drum intro, but uh, and then we want this. Um, you, Brian, you play the little bit of guitar solo right. there. Alex, you do the second half of the, that solo. Then we'll do, a, at the end, you do a long solo, you do 16 bars. You know, that's how you structure yeah. it. But mm-hmm. the song's in, mid, in the middle of it, right? Yeah knowing that they would be great at just throwing stuff in. You know? right. And I said to Brian, there's one little bit here where on that note, to go do, 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 you know, that, just that note has to stand out. He remembered that straight away and never messed up, you know. Wow. I mean, they just go bang. Pro, total pro. Yeah. yeah. And, and because of that, that like, looseness that we had, or, which, funnily enough, becomes tightness, you know. Yeah. The fact that you can say that <laughs> to people, just listen, do what you want to do, yeah. that it gets really good. And right. they, it sounds so, cohesive, yeah. you know. So that's exactly what happened on yeah. both those tracks. And the production and engineering, I mean, the choices Great. there. Like Jimmy, the drums sound so good. Well, you know? Jimmy Hoyson is the best. We had our problems, but we had Guys, yeah. and that, that's the connection there. Jimmy from California, hello, but moved to Pittsburgh, and that's how I met him through Ron Pullman, oh, who's, yeah. who's based no, who's based in well Pittsburgh, yeah. Buffalo, whatever. <laughs> and uh, 
became <laughs> this producer, you know, that everybody works with. And he just happened to be a friend of Ron's, and I met through Ron, I met a lot of people. So Ron Pullman plays guitar? Well, he plays a little bit of acoustic on it, okay. yeah, because, you know, when I, I taught him the bit, when mm-hmm. the first song and the second song, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, you know, come on then. You know yeah. the bit, you can have a go and play acoustic guitar. Get in there, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and it worked out, that was it. So, of course, once we had the backing track down, it was just a matter of uh, of getting... The, the actual vocals together mm-hmm. and that was really quick because young Alex and Brian just spot on you know oh you try this you try that right. and it was very very quick the way it came together and Jimmy is a real pro and again he was working with a lot of stuff in the studio that wasn't quite on the stuff not working there's a lot of problems with it Whatever and um, always, yeah. So you wouldn't have noticed it with him because he he just does it. Stays you know? cool. Oh yeah. yeah, and kept it all. And then when he finally sort of cleaned everything up, every little hiss and every little bump, yeah, it was perfect. Gone. That's what. That's, that's what he. Yeah, did. you have to admire the cool of a yeah. of a good engineer. Yeah. Really. Well, he's <laughs> he's more than an engineer, and that's the point. Yeah. He's he's that he has that, but he also has that great. You know, thing of being able to let you do what you want to do and not interfere. That's yeah. a good producer. Yeah. We, we decided that we were going to put it out as a vinyl, a 12 inch. 12 inch. So, well, thank you. The new generation who brought <laughs> yeah, that back. Coming back. Isn't it great? Yeah, I love yeah. it. And what we did was we, um, because of the content of the lyrics to a certain degree, we we were wanting to do something with Wyland, the uh, seascape artist internationally known. Mm-hmm who lives down in the Keys amongst other places, and I got to know him, along with Taj Mahal, who I'd met before, many years before, mm-hmm. and he was at the house, and played him the record and said, look, we'd like you, if you would, use one of your paintings for the cover, because mm-hmm. we, then we would donate some okay. fifth, half of it to that charity, which is the uh, Florida Keys project. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how that came about. Actually, Wyland did do an album of a, all blues, big band blues, big band, mm-hmm. with lots and lots of people to his lyrics. So he, oh, all I was not a musician, and, and that was his first project. So that's what me attracted to me Got to it. him right. to say, yeah, well, let's. so we did that, and that's it's really a collaboration from that point of view. Yeah. But those Wyland walls are all over the world. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's so great. Where can we send people to buy one of those singles? Online. Or to the Beatle Fest next weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll have a link on our website, too. So okay. Yeah. You gave me black diamonds That I paid for with a heart of gold Now I realize my heart that you stole 
tortured by the ghosts that we could not see. They were from the past, brought on by insecurity. So yeah, let's dive right headfirst into the first Moody Blues album. Tell us something about Mike Pinder and your relationship with him. Well, um, briefly what happened was that Mike and Ray went to Germany when the Beatles were out there, mm-hmm. came back, wanted to put a band together to go back to Hamburg because that's where the work was. Right. So they asked me and we stayed in in, in England instead of going there, got discovered... We were a blues band at the time, M and B Five, which became the Moody Blues, but mm. that was a that was the name of a brewery, Mitchell and Butler's. Yeah, sorry to burst <laughs> your bubble it, yeah. there. <laughs> but um, so then we went to London and we started recording. But Mike and I were really the nucleus of the, shall we say, the writing, right, or the arranging for the band. Mm-hmm. And and because Ray Thomas was originally going to be the lead singer. He wasn't so much into the blues as, as I was. So he became, you know, the harmonica, flute, and mm-hmm. the other voice. He had a really good baritone voice. So right. the moody blues was really like a, a vocal blues, R&B type of... So it had its own sound. Got it. Know? We had our own thing. So Mike really was a big integral part of that. And because he played piano, it made it a blues band. Right. You know? and, and Go Now, of course, was... That was the attraction of Go Now because it was a piano part. You know? Right. So that's really, uh, and it went from there into the Mellotrons, of course. But For a, when you guys were on tour or on well, stage, stuff no, like that? to start with, we, we'd get to places and all the pianos would be out of tune. I mean, don't <laughs> laugh, but it was true. Yeah, there's, there's one right over here. There's one yeah. right there, and it's probably out of tune. <laughs> Way no, out, it looks yeah. like a new one. But most <laughs> of the venues had that. And it was always because we had harmonicas, it had to be in tune. We'd have people tuning the damn things all the time, you know, holding gigs up, whatever. So they went on to Mellotron because of that. And Mike did work at Mellotron's in Birmingham. He was a tester for them. Yeah, it's it's really, really weird. That's a nice connection. Serendipity thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have those big expensive keyboards at your disposal for your band? Well, (laughs) (laughs) cost as much as a car, right? Well, yeah, they became synthesizers, of course. And he worked on that a lot with uh, Roland, people like that. Got it. Yeah, um, we listened through this album and all the singles. Um, what do you? What can you tell us about something like this? The everyday you don't slash you don't all the time single. Mm. That's one of yours. Yeah. Well, as I say, this was experimental uh, writing period for me. You know, a lot of the time you when you. When I wrote in the 80s, for example, I was experimenting on computers, mm-hmm. um, sequences. And that's difficult because you don't really know what, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes later it can sound a little bit too confusing. But when you're doing it for a band, you're writing for the members of the band and the style of the band. 
And of course, the, the harmonies, as I said before, was an integral part, and 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 the arrangements were based around me and Mike, a guitar mm-hmm. and a piano. And that's how you'd write. Yeah, that's piano how. And guitar, would, well, I would face. write basically that okay. most of that. Right. And then, then Mike would come in and put his parts in that, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, he'd make a little like proper little set piece, mm-hmm. and then present it to the guys and get you know put the harmonies in and whatever. that freedom to play whatever they wanted in a way drums okay. ba- drums and bass wise right. and, and that was it but yeah it was because the Moody's had worked on the road for so long they were a good tight band and it was easy to get mm-hmm. them in to do things quickly you know mm-hmm. that's all and you were so, talking in the concert the other night about going in for a few hours to get mm-hmm. six or seven songs right that's right well it's yeah. expensive in those days three basically hours going in and playing your live show yeah, yeah. true that's yeah. what it was I mean if, you, if the song worked on the road Mm-hmm. Then it worked in the studio, mm-hmm. so you already had it rehearsed. So you didn't mm-hmm. want to be wasting time. All you wanted was as quick the first take if possible, yeah. as possible. And of course, they didn't have the facilities to do all the thirty-six track, mm-hmm. thirty-two track things. So it was just recording of you as a band. Yeah. That was right. uh, I enjoyed more. You know, of course, with Wings, we went off into another direction where we had complete freedom in the studio. But sometimes that's not a good thing, but. Uh, huh. You have to watch what you do with all that food. A little option anxiety sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way Go Now became a hit, I think, because it sounded like a band live, you know. Right. And, it, and on the Chuck Berry tour, it was the first tour we ever did. It was with Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce, actually, yeah, in that's that how you band. Came yeah, that uh, the Grand Bond organization opened for us on that right. tour. And we basically got a good following from it because of Chuck, you know. Wow. And uh, that's how it went, crept up the charts from then. Right. So yeah. he was the headliner, and then yeah, you, and we you guys closed the first half. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's yeah. unbelievable. So then, after the Moody's, you go on in what about sixty six, sixty seven to the it's the Denny Lane solo project, or that's the mm. string band. Well, 
Actually, after the Moody Blues, I went to live in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was on, trying to get to America, but uh, I ended up in Spain, and I was... It took a wrong turn. No, it was boat. It was a boat <laughs> thing. I went on a cruise, <laughs> and I stopped. No, it was on the way. <laughs> the Canary Islands was on the way. Right. Um, but anyway, we won't go into that. But the point is that I was there studying with a friend of mine who had... Um, very good chops with the flamenco guitar. Right. So I got into a lot of that style. And again, he was a flute player too. So, you know, I'd been influenced by Ray and the mm -hmm. Moody's and the flute and everything. I play a little bit of flute myself. Mm -hmm. I just like that sound and I love gypsy music. And so I brought some of that back with me, that influence. Right. And so when I formed, what I wanted to do was to do really what, Paul was doing with uh, Eleanor Rigby, in a way, mm. was to take that sound on stage of, of a band, a band with orchestration, but two cellos, two violins. And they'd never done this before. These right. guys were from the Royal Academy of Music. They'd right. never had a pickup on their violin. You know, they'd sure. never done that. So that was the start of that. Of course, I was involved a little bit one time with the guys from ELO, a couple of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, then Bev Bevan, funnily enough, came along, and he was in the band I was in to start with, the Diplomats. Okay. So, yeah, we all kind of mixed and tried things out. But anyway, I went on the road with that for about a year, and um, I wrote that song, Say You Don't Mind, really as a, as a way of testing the people that I was auditioning for it, to ah, be honest. Yeah. Really? Yeah, and I was in part of the... But how did that work? Well, what was it about the song that was a good gauge? It, because it was... Um, it was a kind of a folk song on a guitar, just on its own. Uh -huh. You know, even though the lyrics are, you know, say you don't mind, let me off this time. It's a sort of personal thing, but but even so, um, the style of it, I believe, you know, the key change made it different, but it was mm -hmm. just a very simple song in mm -hmm. some ways. And it lent itself to, it was shuffle blues to that sort of thing. John Paul Jones from Zeppelin was in those days a big uh, studio arranger mm -hmm. and he arranged the strings for it. So that led me to, you know, I had a folk group, mm -hmm. like a trio, if you like, or well, two guitars, Danny Thompson from Pentangle on bass and uh, Viv Prince from, from the Pretty Things on drums. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we uh, cool, yeah. we recorded that with Danny Cordell, who was a big friend of mine. He did the first Moody Blues album. Um, and Donovan, of course, did the sleeve notes. And Donovan and that whole music scene, folk music scene in London, was a big influence on me. Mm -hmm. Because I do kind of come from that in Birmingham originally. You know, like, that right. was my roots, skiffle and, right. and folk and, yeah. and stuff like that. So we, we went off into that direction with this idea. Get back. But who rides with 
we played the Jimi Hendrix show and the Brian Epstein's Theatre, Savile Theatre. And Paul and John, Peter Asher in the audience. And wow. shortly after that, I got the call. Do you okay. want to put a band together? So it, I, I think it was because he, he knew I was doing what I wanted to do, something new. I wasn't trying to be the Moody Blues anymore. He knew he couldn't be the Beatles anymore. Right. And he wanted uh, like a partner in crime. Mm. You know. yeah. So you guys had to invent a sound yeah. entirely new together. Yeah, well, again, based around mostly his songs, obviously. But but he, what he did on his first album, of course, you know, McCartney 1, I suppose it was, mm-hmm. um, was very similar to what I was doing. He was writing simple songs on guitar, and um, that's what I was doing. So the style was there. We, don't forget we all grew up with the same influences. Yeah, of course. Buddy Holly, you know, Elvis and mm-hmm. the Everly Brothers and stuff like that. So we immediately knew what we what we're going to be doing. We right. went into his farm and we sat there and we just played all a lot of old stuff just for fun. Right. And then that style developed around. Well, it was after Ram, so Dennis Dennis Iwa was already on board. Okay. And he was a great easy guy to get along with and a great musician, and yeah. um, not just a drummer. I hate to say it like that, but mm. he was more than just a drummer. He was, a, you know, he's from the. The, the army band, the Marines, or something. Mm-hmm. He knew all. He was trained. You <laughs> he know. played some trumpet, didn't he? Yeah, he played yeah. trumpet, piano. He's yeah. an arranger, uh-huh. you know, yeah. and a very nice guy to work with. So that was it to, to start with. It was a, it was easy. Well, one thing we're sort of trying to figure out about the early seventies is that there seem to be some projects that overlap a little here, or nearly overlap. You have the. Um, Ginger Baker stuff, and you have Balls and BLG seemingly happening at the same time that uh, Wings is starting up. And also, uh, we're really interested in this album, Ah Lane, came out in 73. November, yeah. I think there might be a story about that. Uh, Actually, yeah. Recorded <laughs> before 73, I might Okay, add. in 72? or No, way before. I think probably before I, you know, before I joined Wings, obviously. Okay. okay. And... Um, and that again was sort of Tony Secunda was the um, Moody Blues manager. We morphed into doing something f- solo for me. Mm. So again, I went in there. Colin Allen on drums. Colin wrote um, "Medicine Jar" with Jimmy. He mm. was in the Stone of Crows. Right. Um, so anyway, there was a bunch of guys there that I went in the studio with. Again, rehearsed. Mm-hmm went in the studio with my own songs for yeah. the first time, totally mine. Yeah. And that was it. And now I listen to it. You know, a lot of this stuff sounds really a lot better than I thought it's it was. It's good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> Alain's the, but, awesome. But not only that, like the sound was really clean. Yeah. You could hear everything. Oh, crisp. Is, yeah, like very that. crisp. I and like the band that. is very tight. I know. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. Again, we went... You know, and we worked on rehearsing. Went in the country like you do, worked it out as a, as though we were going on the road, and right. went in the studio like that.
quick. But we didn't put it out straight away. And then, of course, one thing led to another. And I got into the wings thing and the string band all of a sudden. You know, so mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be going out there promoting that album. And there's obviously, like, there always is, and I don't want to touch on it too deeply. Mm-hmm. There's always management. There's always, you know, like record company problems that you go through with everything. Oh, yeah. And you can name any band in the world that that hasn't gone through that. And, you know, so that was that. So we, we sat on the shelf a little bit. And, of course, during the Wings period, mm-hmm. it was a good time to put it out. Got it, yeah. Now, I read somewhere that you weren't aware that it was out for a while. Or is that true? <laughs> Knowing me, that probably is true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess we'll assume it's not. Um, well, no, it's probably true. Yeah. But, uh, things go on in the back room, you know. Yeah. You're out there doing something else, and all of a sudden, oh, we're putting this album out. <laughs> and in fact, it was Secundra who thought of the title Arlene because it's taken from an Arbisto you know, which is a gravy right, right. granule thing yeah. from the old days. Ah. And uh, it's this, I didn't know the Yeah, ah, yeah. oh, Bisto was the, was oh, the thing. Oh, okay. okay. And, exactly. We have okay. uh, our and first it, exclusive yeah. right there. <laughs> really? Yeah, and there's a bunch of great songs on here. So in particular, we both like Baby Caroline a lot. Love that song. Okay, yeah. yeah. I always say this, but that songs are inspired by sometimes, you know, people you know. Mm-hmm. But this particular person, Caroline, was just somebody... Actually, it was the girlfriend of the guy who wrote uh, the lyrics to White the Shade of Pale. Oh, um, Procol Harum. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. I just was, I don't know, I just went in, started writing the song, but it wasn't right. about me and her, if you see what I mean. Right. It was just like, a, and you get that. It's like, I'm sure Paul didn't know Eleanor Rigby, you know. But yeah, anyway, it was, it was that style of song, the doom, doom, doom. It's very similar. You get that air mm-hmm. and a G string thing, you know, mm-hmm. that you get and go now. Penny Lane, of course. Right. Same thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it same, was that kind of progression, line, yeah. yeah. Doom, doom. Yeah. It's a well-known, you know, yeah. dead surf. As White the Shade of Powers. And then there you go. So having been around those people, because Danny Cordell was producing that too. So mm-hmm. being around those people and that style, that's what got me into that song. You wear a mask, you tell me that so important and you won't stop until you've got your very fortune i'm onto you baby i'm onto you baby i'm onto you baby caroline you come unstuck run out of luck the way you go Will be disgraced before you know it. I'm onto you, baby. I'm onto you, baby. I'm onto you, baby, Caroline. Caroline, Caroline. You're just a child from way before your time. influenced by the name by the style of the the, the denny was recording with them it's just uh-huh. that's, that was an influence i'm always influenced by 
anything around me right. at the time, and and I'll I'll write the song about it. And that's how songwriting has progressed for me. But I never used to do that much of it before. You see, hmm. so. Hmm. Yeah. So, so why did you pick, uh, or did you pick "Find a Way Somehow" to be the single from the album, I or didn't. was was it? Yeah, "Find a Way Somehow." I don't think he was involved. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. No, I never knew about that. Yeah, I really so didn't. Yeah, that was but, the single. But, but didn't B-side. Wings have a crack at that song as well? Uh, well, we I think we did like rehearse it. Once uh-huh. and we just ran it through. It's just, okay. yeah, like we used to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the trouble with that. On the record, it was a sh- real short version. They faded it right, out yeah, like yeah, yeah. the first couple of... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that wasn't necessarily my idea again, but, uh, you know, it's just the way things are sometimes. You just think, right. well, you want to get the flow of the album and, okay, that's enough of that one. Next. And yeah. in those days, it was three minutes for a single. Sure. You know. Yeah. But I, ne- I had no idea that, that was done. It's true. You're going to get a lot of that in this interview. Well, that's okay. I'm okay. That's with that. yeah. That we're we're expecting a certain amount of that. <laughs> you know, we know that we're more interested in some of this than the people who did it. You know. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, we're here. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're on the right track now, boys. If I could get a word across. it cost in spite of all the time we've lost I get it to you now find a way to say What does it matter Anyway But if you The album was co-produced by you then. How much influence or you know input did you have on the overall sound of Alain? Perfectly honest, I wasn't that experienced in the studio, yeah. right? Um, but I knew what was the right takes and stuff like that. You know, with the was a one, no one more, that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh-huh. But I was very aware that you know it had to be tight, and of course it was because the band was tight. Um, so it was not really a production. Problem mm-hmm. there I with see. that. You see. Yeah. That's left up More to like me. More like you play and somebody engineers. Yes, yeah. it's up to the engineer. Yeah. Or, or in the case of the first Moody Blues album, same thing. Danny Cordella never produced anything before mm. in his life. Mm-hmm. Same with me. You know, I just said, you sit there. The guy that produced Go Now couldn't do it. You sit there and you tell me what you think. Yeah. And that, then he became a producer for that, that day. Pro- that's what they do. Executive that's what producer. They do. <laughs> yeah, but he went on to do all that other stuff. So, and that was really what it was with me. I was just in charge of the thing, really. Right, yeah. But as you say, it was the engineer that mm-hmm. did the work. <laughs> I was just going to comment on Big Ben, the instrumental they know through yeah. the album. 
That's a cool way to open an album. <laughs> well, there you go. With, with the Moog, you know, coming yeah, I know, in, yeah. and the whistling. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're always trying to do something a little bit psychedelic. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the way it was. Might as well. It was so, the style of the day. So this, were any of these songs older songs you were bringing back, or they were all sort of written for this album? They were written around the same time. You know, mm -hmm. I knew I was going to do something and that's the way it works with me I'm not one of these people who just writes all the time mm -hmm. you know if somebody comes along and says we want to do this I'll go and write right you know and then because uh -huh. I'm inspired really by the in the moment thing you yeah. know and, yeah. and, it, and it's got to be done and the playing well yeah, yeah. and and the style yeah and then where you're at you know with your playing yeah of course yeah. right the styles you're into so the ball stuff mm. the Fight for, fight for My Country, and what is it, uh, Janie Slowdown. Yeah. That's before or after this? It was before. But the point is that that, that was Trevor's thing as well from the movie. Okay. He wrote those two oh, songs. Oh, those are his songs, not yours. Yeah. I was it. Just, okay. I was, it was going to be a trio with me, Trevor, and Alan White, who ended up being with Yes. Yeah, and we just went in there, and then Jimmy Miller mm -hmm. was involved in that. And so we had a, a you know a little trio that was going to go on the road at what well, clubs really mm -hmm. and get tight. So again, we went in there yeah. to, to put some stuff down, and he had the first songs. That's all. That's he never it. developed past that. I mean, Steve Gibbons with him for a little while, and he's a friend of ours from Birmingham too. So again, it was like ELO. Everybody knew everybody. Mm -hmm. The move came down from the same company that brought the Moody Blues into London. Okay. So there we go. You see. You must be some kind of fool And the sailors said I'm going away to fight for my country And I said you must be some kind of fool Why don't we all just go and live in the mountains There's an unreleased Balls album. Did you guys record a full album? Probably. Probably. I think we did. Okay. I think we did a lot of tracks that um, we never finished, actually. It never finished. But that's what you do, you see, especially when you've got a trio. Mm -hmm. You kind of go in there and that's that. But, you know, it wasn't going to be Cream, so it was going to be something that we'd probably add to later and finish off and really go and fly by the seat of your pants at the time. Right. And um, that's the way it went. But it was a single, and then the album got shelved, and it's in a vault somewhere? Probably. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's ask, uh, you know, Tony Sikanda's descendants. Oh, I don't know. Boy. Let's get them on the phone. Go. Max, can you get them on <laughs> the phone? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I had a penny for everything that went that way in the past. Right. <laughs> yeah. I understand. You know. Yeah. Not so, in control, actually. That's what it is. Yeah. The only thing that keeps bands going is the fact that they got to keep working to, right. you know, <laughs> sure. to keep their brains intact. Yeah. You know, it's so funny you're talking about how you would write songs or people would bring in songs and you would rehearse them. You'd go somewhere, rehearse them. Mm. Go somewhere, yeah. go on the road, and then record them. Then record it's them. the opposite now. It's total opposite now. People show up and they're like, how mm. do I play the guitar? They don't know how to play know. the guitar. I know. I blame the Beatles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they have to take the blame for everything. But in this well, okay. case... For, well, for making records the main uh, thing? Everything, being famous, yeah. you know. And, but... 
again, they went through a lot of every problem in the book too. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. But um, when I first was going and hanging out with Paul and George, George is a neighbour in the, the, the Moody's days, and um, I went to Sergeant Pepper session, mm-hmm. which is full on the hill, and I heard these tracks, vocal tracks, for example, mm-hmm. harmonies, that never made it on the album. Wow. Yeah. You know, so they were experimenting with different right. things and then would make the decision final, decision mm-hmm. after. And... They were all sitting around in the studio with a big screen around them in the centre and then uh-huh. the amps and drums would be on a big studio too area. They would all be sitting out there. And um, so they had free studio time is basically what I'm saying. Right, yeah. right. And, and a lot of freedom. That, that lent itself to people doing that, making things up in the studio. Right. Yeah. Um, and, of course, with computers, sequences, blah, 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 you know, it became like... That's the trend now. And so bands it always suck has been. It's gone the opposite way. Right. Sorry, boys. But <laughs> but it did. It's gone the opposite way to the point where, like you say, a lot of people don't. They learn how to play and how to make songs up, you know, at their own leisure. Right. You know, it's, uh, right. And that's not always a good thing. And the good thing about it is there's a lot of bands out there now actually going out and playing, which means more venues are open again. Right. It does seem to be a really happening time I for think so. live music. Yeah. It really is. I think it's come full circle, finally. But for those of us who do like making records, it's kind of... Yeah. Kind of a tough time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Suddenly the thing you like doing is yeah. no value. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, that's the other thing, of course, but then it's records always worth a promotion anyway. Yeah. I mean, you never really expect to get to pay it. If you did, then you're full. Right, <laughs> right, right, like, right, 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 right. And yeah. nobody did to start with, including the Beatles down. Everybody got ripped off in yeah. those days. Come right. on, I mean, be honest. Yeah. It was like the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. It really was. Yeah. There were no rules. The people doing it that you didn't, they didn't know anything about the, what they were doing. Yeah. But at least they were friends and you you could sort of trust them in a, in a way, you thought. Right. And then uh, then it goes belly up and then you go and you move on to do other things, but you learn as you go. Hmm. Yeah, we have more agency now, I think, yeah. you know, yeah. as, as independent artists, but, you know, we don't have the gatekeepers, but... Sure. But there's a now, lot more noise. noise. There's yeah. a lot of noise because yeah. the internet, right? Yeah, got to fight a lot of people to be uh-huh. seen. Of course, but hey, it was like that in the old days. You weren't, you know. There's a lot of bands in Birmingham when I started out. Right. Yeah. Thousands of them. You know, okay. and there's only us and Spencer Davis group that came to London and actually got deals. Right. In those days. That's how hard it was. Less than 1%. Yeah, yeah. and we yeah. got lucky. You know, we stuck at it. Again, we were a blues band. We had a blues residency, mm-hmm. and somebody saw us and took us to London. But that's wow. based on what the Beatles did. Yeah. In fact, it was the same company that was involved with the Beatles concessions hmm. that came up and found us. So there you go. So, oh, yeah, whoa. so let's, let's so, so you go from balls and then you guys go and you put out Wings Wildlife, right? So you go, and that's more of what you're talking about. What I'm talking about. You go play in the country, play a mm. bunch of songs. You made the record fast. Yeah. And Wings is off to the races. Mm-hmm. I, I can skip over Wings Wildlife because I want to ask you about the song I Would Only Smile. Yeah. Which is from the that, Red Rose that, Speedway, or is it from that period? It's Red Rose Speedway, but right. that's because Red Rose Speedway is going to be a double album, okay. so uh-huh. I found out later. Yeah, but <laughs> we did too. No, no, we recorded a lot of stuff, and then you yeah. pick whatever you want for an album, but 
I think the idea was that, but that was the first time that Paul had ever used an, another engine. Uh, sorry, producer, mm-hmm. and that didn't work. Even so. though it was Glyn Johns and he'd done a lot of stuff with everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. Ginger ba- uh, Cream and everybody, and had a name, but it didn't really work personality-wise. It was and a bit so, blunt, huh? Yeah, well, it just, you know, I mean. We had our own way of doing things, and I suppose it's a two-way street, but right. those guys think that, you know, they know everything, but uh, <laughs> they don't know about what we want, and they right. kind of do it their way, because yeah. they know this is tried and tested and it's going to work. But that didn't work for us. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we did do a lot more stuff, and that song became my song. Yeah. That, um, that was in 80 it came out, right? Yeah, I think it was a great recording. Danny Sywell and Henry were great together. Right, right. And we had that, that bluesy type of guitar stuff in there. And, you know, the, the lyric... See, a lot of the stuff that we wrote in those days were things we, we were suppressing ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like we were, we were influenced by too much outside lyrically. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, I could say, this is what I want to talk about and, and mm-hmm. write a song. And mm-hmm. Paul would go, great. He was encouraging me to write songs really? okay. in those days. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's what happened with the band on the run, but, you know, I didn't do enough of it. But that was one of them songs that really could have been on a, on the other album. And yeah. Should have been on the album. Well, that's, you know, we, we play a lot of fantasy baseball with these with these albums and rearrange them yeah. based on, you know. Oh, yeah. And we know that we had, uh, you know, two records worth of stuff on that one. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea how far the double album concept got before it was nixed? I mean, yeah. all I know is that, yeah, we recorded a lot more tracks. Yes, mm-hmm. two albums and, worth, for And sure. they became yeah. outtakes or whatever, uh, what they call them? Uh, Bootlegs, B-sides? No, what no, I, no, no. What they, uh, he had a name for that album he bought. Cold Cuts. Cold Cuts. Cold Cuts. Yes. We're going to come back to that. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> if, that, if you want. That was a know. clever way of saying stuff we didn't think was good enough for Right, album. right, sure. Okay. Okay. And so most of the time, if something got rejected from the album, it really was a decision not, no, not yeah, good enough or doesn't it fit yeah. somehow? Yeah, sometimes you do recording and say, I'm not too keen on that. Mm -hmm. Or it's like there's too many of the same style, so we want to get rid of one of those. It's like putting a set list together for a gig. Sure. It's interesting how seldom, though, you guys would revisit those things. So you had a Mm. a good 10 songs left over from Red Rose Speedway, Mm. and Soily came back in concert but never made it. 1882 disappeared completely. I know. It's just strange that they didn't show up 
ever. You know? <laughs> like, just put them on the next album. <laughs> well, that's because we, again, we like to move forward. Yeah. You don't live with that stuff. Yeah. That's why a lot of the time I can't remember a lot of it because yeah. you're just focused on what you actually put out and what you... You move on. I'm like a fan too, listening to it, you know. <laughs> right. I forgot about all the other tracks. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And Red Rose Speedway was recorded at Olympic Studios, yeah, right? Olympic. So that was a different venue for you guys. Well, again, it was one of those places where everybody recorded. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we tried it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit like Lagos. Let's go through near my studio in Africa because, yeah. you know, we want to be influenced by something around us. In that case, it wasn't a studio anybody recorded. <laughs> yeah, right. but, but, but Olympic was kind of well-known. And, mm-hmm. of course, it was, uh, it was Glenn John's you know, baby. Of course, really. right. So then if I ask you about something like Leave It off the McGear record, it's the <laughs> same kind of thing. It's like we were writing songs and we were recording them and we're moving on. Yeah. Well... Yeah, but that was a good album. I mean, it is a good album. And and, and the thing was, of course, we did that at Strawberry Studios, and and again, that was unusual. But it was because it was in Manchester, and it was uh, Mike's choice. I think Mike knew that, oh the guys from Ten CC, right? Mm-hmm. And we met all those, of course, Graham Goldman, big writer. And so yeah, we wanted to try that out because of that its reputation, if mm-hmm. you like. And of course, we had a few visitors up there, like Ava and Carpenters. <laughs> they all try. They hear the name of the studio and they want to go and see what it's like, right, you know. Yeah. And that's what they do. So that was a good album, and that was mainly sort of Paul and writing the, the you know, right. the, at least the music. Yeah. And then um, and it's sort the, of a, a Wings album. It's yeah, sort it is of, a Wings yeah. album because it was us playing it. It's our It's the style. Venus and Mars band, pretty exactly. much. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 You guys go on from there. I, I personally love the song "Send Me the Heart." Oh, I'm so you. glad you eventually put that one out too. Like, well, yeah. Uh, well, it came out on my solo. Uh, yeah, Jeff, Japanese Tears, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, I'll say this. I said this to Chris the other day. It's like Japanese Tears is like your "All Things Must Pass" in a way. It's <laughs> all these amazing songs you were writing during the Wings period, and then there they are yeah. in '80. Like I said, you know, I was very influenced at that time. To be a songwriter, and Paul was always saying, "Got any songs? Got any songs?" Mm. And that's how they came about by him pushing me to put bits together and whatever. That's yeah, yeah. how that song came together, you know. Yeah, um, no words. Yeah, I was very, very influenced by other songwriters. Mm-hmm. I decided uh, that's what I wanted to do more often. Uh, right. Yeah. So that 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 album was. <sighs> You know, it was based, of course, on the Japanese situation, the yeah. fact that we couldn't get in there. Right. And um, I had to put something out for think about a solo career because once that happened, it was all, wait a minute, what do we do now? He's gonna, we're not going to be able to go to Japan, you know, mm-hmm. your visa problems and all that stuff. Speaking of, um, of I Would Only Smile and Japanese Tears generally, the three Wings songs that are on there, were they overdubbed, remixed, are they pretty much the Wings records? or well, they sound a little different. Like the vocal on I Would Only Smile sounds different from the 72. 
Well, I don't know how that came about. I mean, it's just be, you know. Just would have pulled it up and done a remix. I was, yeah, just yeah. what I was influenced by vocally or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, Send Me the Heart, for example, mm-hmm. wasn't done by Wings. It was none of those No, people. it was not. It was only Paul. Yeah, on bass, and it was session guys. Session guys. It was like Floyd Kramer on piano, right. and, right, right, right. and this, the, but the other slide player is quite well known. I can't remember his right, name. Right, the Nashville session. And he did Salad G, and I did that one. Well, you know, I mean, I was very influenced by Nashville, of course. Mm-hmm. I always was. You know, skiffle was country music, and, right. and and bluegrass and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I just was. It was like a test. Paul says, let's write a song and have a little bit of a, a game, a little mm. bit of a challenge thing going. Huh. And we did. I wrote that and he wrote the other one. But it was great to play with those people, you see. Like the Buddy Holly album that I did eventually Holly was going to yeah was going to be with session guys from Nashville. Uh-huh. Okay, but it turns out that Ray Stevens couldn't produce it, which he was going to do. He's going to be Warner Brothers are going to be involved. In the end, because of the del- delay of recording, I went up to Scotland and Paul already had the backing tracks. So okay. that's what happened there. But but with the Nashville people and uh, Send Me the Heart, it was. Just, phew, done in one you know just one session like bang mm-hmm. just like that they were so good and so clear they can make a bad song sound great <laughs> yeah but, but <laughs> I'm not saying it was a bad song no, but it not. just was you know it's a pleasure to be working with her outside of the wings camp and you have to do that sometimes right. it's where you get your influences you know yeah yeah so holidays so those tracks that was the album, or that, that's like a demo album? You said they were well, going to redo it. Well, no, I was going to do the final, the album with these guys in, in Nashville, and it didn't happen. But it turned out that, it, yeah, we did it up in Scotland mm-hmm. to instead. Got it. But, and but did you contribute to the backing tracks at all, or did Paul do? Oh all yeah, of that? yeah, I yeah. contributed to them. Uh-huh. But I went up there, and he had the four track, you know, Studer. And uh, plugged in the back of it, really. We, yeah, we, there's yeah. no engineers involved. Yeah. Wow. So we d- we got that very upfront sound and you know, untouched sound. 
and he, he'd put like he might put an acoustic guitar on and a bass and some drums mm -hmm. and then I'd go up and add some other stuff and, I see you know and then put the vocals in it was pretty quick the way it came together and they, they do know that it's so easy to It's a really great record. Yeah, I spun it, it for the first time in a long time, and yeah. I couldn't believe how fresh it sounded. Like all the parts and everything. That's the thing. And the thing and is, and the chipmunk part too. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, I'm not too nice sure about touch. that. <laughs> Glassy touch. <laughs> it's because it had that different sound to it, or style. You know, it's right. not copy the Buddy Holly thing. No, not at all. Apart from the, uh, 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 right, 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 right. Uh, uh, which yeah. is funny. That's know, mandatory. But, yeah, it's yeah. mandatory. You got to throw a bit of that in. But the point is, it was not. If we'd done it in Nashville, it would have sounded like probably the original was more. Yeah, absolutely. Because of that style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That yeah, that's sounds true. Yeah. more like a Wings album than some yeah. Wing album. It sounds <laughs> like a Wings. Yeah. yeah. And then another highlight I have, since we're talking about Japanese tears, too, is the song Weep for Love. Right. I just don't understand how that could get cut from a record. That's an unbelievable song. I was on the plane <laughs> listening to it, like getting emotional. That's <laughs> a, you know, it's an open tuning guitar. So oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's how you do the harmonic yeah. stuff. This is all it's an open chord. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, just an open E. Open, open E. Yeah. E. Yeah, so like Which the is, harmonic it, thing. Yeah, it's the best slide. Um, slide tuning. Yeah. Okay. That's for that. Yeah, it's all that stuff. Yeah, it's all that stuff. Yeah.
I particularly love the, the line um, about the headline. You read the headline in the morning paper. If you don't if believe you're heading for a showdown, you're blind. If you don't believe we're heading for a showdown, right. you're blind. How appropriate is that for what's happening in the world no, right now? No, Well, they don't have morning papers so much. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> morning morning right. iPad check. You got me there, Denny. No, you got me there with that one. All right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we have the, the Wings songs and the 70s songs that apparently are just mostly remixed. Then a couple of re-recordings, pre-Wings re-recordings. That leaves about nine songs on the rest of the album. I'm just wondering, were they written roughly over the Wings period or like for that album well, explicitly? Japanese is. Yeah. I think I probably threw them together all in one time mm-hmm. period, you know. Mm-hmm. That's usually the way I do things. But, you know, I might have had one from before and that came back. But sometimes, again, I would have bits of songs. Right. That's the thing. Right. And then when it's time to say, okay, I'm going to go in the studio, yeah. I would then add to them, finish mm-hmm. them, or maybe even join them to another bit, you know, and that Good would skill be... skill to have in your... Yeah, well, it's yeah. just what you've got you make the most of. Yeah. And I think that's the way that more or less came about. But were you planning to do this album regardless of whether Wings broke up? Really, again, it was, uh, yeah... To get me back into songwriting. Right. And that's right, right, really right, right. what it was. Right. You know, I wasn't particularly thinking about a breakup. I mean, after Paul in Japan, I wasn't uh, exactly leaving the band. I did two more albums with him after that. You know? right. right. So I knew after a while that I wanted to have some kind of a solo career thing going again. Mm-hmm. And that was there. So mm-hmm. bang. Yeah. So... After we go from Japanese Tears, uh, you well, you brought up cold cuts, so I want to ask you some questions about cold cuts, but I know you're just going to say it's just the leftovers, right? Well, I don't know what they are, a lot of them, because a lot of oh, them were well, we just have jams. Them right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, go on then. Well, like, I what mean, is, like, what, talk about. Well, what's the story, like, Water Spout? That's like well, a London Town outtake? Something like that? Yeah, it is. And that's it? It's just an outtake yeah, from the record? See... When you're in a situation where you are, you know, making an album, in that case, we were out in the Virgin Islands, making Virgin Islands, and we were writing and doing things, or not writing so much me, but we were we were playing, having a bit of a holiday, moving around, and it was all part of a working thing, a working holiday. And so a lot of these songs came about, you know, quickly, uh, some little incident that went on that wasn't really that great you know it wasn't refinished or it wasn't it was just okay. a, like a little link or something mm. so that wouldn't be considered to be a song you know okay yet but again people like that stuff yeah, yeah. they do they love it's, it well water spout in particular is very popular yeah. among the really? you know among the real nerds that's right and, uh, that's right yeah like me
and so is Cage from Back to the Egg, which oh, is a mysterious thing for us. What's that instrumental thing? Well, it? no, it's a full-on song. Oh, I don't it. <laughs> I don't Do you want to hear that. it or no? <laughs> you got me there. Uh, play a bit of it, see if it okay. comes back, you never know. Oh, yeah. So this is, what is this? This is just two songs you guys smashed together and then did, and then we're like, leave it off. I don't know if there's two songs this one. Here's the second part, yeah. People really like this one. This is Did a they? beloved song, yeah. Oh, I mean, well, again, among the people the nerdy, who follow, you know. Well, the the in the know people. Yeah. The yeah. big fanatics with the capital A. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you have any interesting stories from London time? Bruce recording on a boat? Like, what was that like? Well, it was mainly my fault because I <laughs> That's was... your... <laughs> I was... Um, Sounds like a pretty cool idea. Well, I, I had a house near Shepparton Studios, which is on the river, um, out, out towards the airport there. And Paul and Linda used to come out and play and, you know, get music room and stuff. And then Steve Holly was a neighbour and he became came around, met Paul and Linda one night, Went from there. They used to come and swim in the river, get out of town, really. Mm. And so, you know, it was just... And then the people who were who was looking after me, in fact, this, this guy, Michael Bates, owned a boatyard. Ended up buying one of these boats. And then we went all over the country. We actually went down to uh, Paul's house eventually and, and had this boat in Rye Harbour, which is where he lives, near there. And... You know, it got. I was getting into boats, and then they, then they, um, they said, "Oh yeah, boats, <laughs> hole in the water into which one continually pours money." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, well, I like it. I live on the river, and we've been to France, and we have some adventures. I could write a book on that." So, well, sure enough, he got into that and was influenced by it, and said, "Why don't we make an album on a boat?" <laughs> that's how it came about. Slightly more luxurious boat, of course, but, but it was fun. And uh, sometimes we were moving from bay to bay and the boat's doing this and we're trying to play, bouncing off the walls, you know. Right, yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, again... I would think the salt water would be the... Yeah. The salt in the air would be the biggest problem, but no. Well, we're inside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, of course, you're staying healthy being, jumping out yeah. the water all day long. Yeah. Wow. And um, it was good. But, of course, it came to London, and we, hence the back of it being in black and white, we're in the grey of London to finish off the album. Right. That's the way that works. Yeah. And you've got one of your best wing songs on there, Deliver Your Children. Deliver Your Children. Yeah. Well, folk. And 
Spanish. Yeah, the guitar, the Spanish yeah. guitar mm-hmm. was was my influence. And Paul said to me, I, met, I was probably messing around the studio, I think, on on a Spanish guitar. Mm-hmm. And he said, Why don't you put some of that on this on this song? I went, Fine. Yeah. And it, and it became a feature because you know it's yeah. what I had been experiencing out in. Spain for God knows how long. I was living with the gypsies, you know, a lot. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, not living with them, but hang, hanging around, <laughs> yeah. hanging out, playing right. with them, and yeah. just doing all sorts of hanging and drinking and partying, and mm-hmm. and they were all great. They're all happy to teach you. Oh techniques yeah. And, yeah. and not only that though, there were a lot of people out there trying to get away from the Vietnam War. So oh. there's a lot of Americans right. out there. Yeah. Um, building guitars, writing books on flamenco. You know, these were all rich kids who could, didn't have to go to war. Right. And so they were also great players too. They had studied it and they were, they were my friends too. Okay. So I had a cross-section there. And so anyway, I put that on that song. And, and what we did, we capoed another acoustic guitar, so it was that high thing, so it sounded a bit more like a mandolin. Oh, okay. And then... Um, yeah, it's just a typical chord sequence of mine, you know, that, that <laughs> changes key, like I always do yeah, key yeah. changes. The old you know. Denny Lane chord progression. That's right, yeah. 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 Pull it so, up. That's it. So, you know, and of course Paul, being Paul, wants to be in on everything, so he he's... <laughs> he sings the harmony, which I yeah. didn't expect, which was great. Yeah, and it sounds really good. that's what you good. do, you know. You, and that's where the Everly Brothers' influence comes in. Right. Like he Phil did with Don. John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's what they used to call John and Paul, Phil and Don. Oh. Yeah, for fun. <laughs> for fun, yeah, they did. So that was a kind of... The, that that came about as Paul being a backing musician, which mm-hmm. he's really good bass player and a really good yeah. harmony singer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's great, great when he hangs back. Yeah, he yeah. can do all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And it, and it does not like you have to tell him what to do. So he just finds his own harmonies, his own yeah. bass parts, and away you go. Wow. But he's influenced by something that I've put on the table, right? Which is kind of good, you know. And it was the other way around too. And your voices are nicely complementary. Yeah. Too. Well, when you work and hang out with people, you end up talking the same language, including the same accent. By yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the lyrics of that song, is that about anything particular or you're just putting words no, together? again, it's not, not something I've experienced. But, yeah, I'm, I believe in the Almighty, you know, right. here and now and then. And right. it's like, <laughs> and it's like yeah, you deliver yeah. your children, you know, look after your people, look after everybody right. and, and look whatever goes down, you know. seems like the verses, the speaker of the song is sort of, Sort of down on his luck, but then he yeah. comes back to the chorus, maybe yeah. for hope. Or, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you're pointing out all the stuff that's going wrong I for see. you, and then, you know, you, but you know you're being looked after. Got it, you know. Great message.
cold cuts. We don't know anything about this. We know that there were some sessions on it in 81. Probably mm. the last wing sessions. Probably. I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's all I don't right. remember yeah. it. But all I know is it was a hell of a lot of like outtakes of stuff. Some of these he had from being up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And my carnival was, of course, when we were making Venus and Mars. Yeah. You know, because we got off and we influenced by all those Demeters and, right. uh, and, and Alan Toussaint's people and all that. And you're so, playing a double bass on my carnival or something? Yeah. You're like the video doing that, yeah, right? right? Oh, yeah, I got, it got me doing a lot of stuff, mate. <laughs> Cleaning up, making the tea. <laughs> that you worked on Tug of War and what some of Pipes of Peace then too? Yeah, quite a few of those tracks. Yeah. So, I mean, what was it like? I mean, we read that like you had to, like you have the plane landed at some crazy angle when you're landing on that island. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's like normally the way it is when you're sort of off the beaten track. You right, know? Yeah. You, Nobody well. wants to go there for those reasons. It's a little bit like landing at, at uh, Glasgow Airport, you know, in, okay. a, in a small plane, which I've done a few times right. on, on my way to Scotland. Okay. And it's hairy. Right. So, yeah, it was all that stuff going on. Mike Bat was out there with his boat. He invited us on board. And then we had all the people visiting. Stevie Wonder. Uh-huh. Uh, Carl Perkins, Ringo, uh-huh. Stanley Clark, and we had um, Steve Gadd on drums who did all of uh, uh, Memphis. Uh, right, you know, Steve Gadd's yeah. a big, big time guy. Yeah, and uh, so he, you know, Paul Simon's album. So it was one of those things where it wasn't a band, and it was just purely let's see what happens when we mix up. Mind you, you'd already met Steve, Stevie before, mm-hmm. and of course Ringo, we knew. But it was fun, and Paul knew Carl Perkins a little bit. And these were people that we loved, you know, right. were influenced by, mm-hmm. and see what happened, and a lot of good stuff came out of it. So yeah. that's what we're starting to get into with those albums. Right. We weren't thinking about putting a band together at that So there was stage. no sense that they would be released as Wings albums? No, I don't I think so. No, And then they ended up being his albums. As mm-hmm. sense, you know, so right, right. Yeah, so we have lists of, you know, what you supposedly played on, on uh, Pipes of Peace and Tug of War. But before that, I kind of wanted to, before we get into that stuff, go back to the last Wing Sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that, yeah. I don't know. I have this resource here that claims that there were some Wing Sessions between May and December of 1980. And the songs listed here, again, I'll just let you look at the song list if you want. We're very curious about whether that's true, and if you have any memories of that stuff. Like, here's a corduroy. Was that really rehearsed? And <laughs> robber's ball. And well, you know what corduroy is. It's suit. Corduroy, yeah, corduroy. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's again, it's Paul's. I didn't you know, know that. Sense of humor. <laughs> I didn't put that together yeah, until just now. <laughs> it's Paul's sense of humor. <laughs> I'm not that smart, I guess. We all stand together. Yeah, that's another. One. Wings rehearsed that. 
I don't remember really. Yeah, it sounds like they so. were just always working. You guys are just always. Oh writing yeah, that's and because stuff, Paul was right? so famous. You had to be in the studio all the time to get away from the crowds. Mm. But never thought of it that um, way. It's I love full glory. You see, I can't really remember. Robber's Ball, I can remember a little bit. Call of Nature, I don't really remember. I think that's just a, a joke song. And Someone's no, joking about having saying. to take a pee. You know, with me, with me, it would be me just jamming along to whatever he's doing. Yeah. You right. know, and, and if it ever ended up good enough to be on the record, it mm-hmm. would have been, it would be just a jam. It's just something we were messing around with in the studio. Right. Like you say, I might, I, I'd like, find a way somehow I'll be playing the chords and you come mm-hmm. and play along and say okay the tape would be on bang right. similar thing with a lot of this stuff so it wasn't considered to be you know finished songs or something that we want to yeah. work on and, and turn into a proper record I see we know for a fact that um, we have some recordings of Wings rehearsing a bunch of the stuff from Tug of War and Pipes of Peace Average Person mm. Uh, sweetest little show. Uh, what else, Ryan? No values. No values. And that would be the last line of Wings. Of that course. was it. Yeah. yeah. Same with Band on the Run. Mm-hmm. There might have will have been rehearsals, mm-hmm. and then they probably didn't work out that great, or we didn't know them well enough, and we didn't go in with them. Yeah. You know? Did you bring yeah. any songs to the tug of war pipes no. of peace stuff? You didn't no. bring anything in. No. I remember doing something. With uh, Paul on Rupert as well, Rupert yeah. the Bear. Oh, that's right. We did a whole bunch of songs for yeah. that because that frog song was the only thing that ever saw the light today. And that hmm. one. And Rupert's great, actually. Yeah, some of those and, songs are pretty good, yeah. Well, I'm telling you, though, but the story, you know, Rupert is like uh, Harry Potter, you know, if yeah. it was that big and yeah. like Lord of the Rings could have been that big. And right. I believe you had the rights to it for quite a few years. But the actual Rupert Acetate is really yeah. cool. And I guess that's 79, Ryan. Right. Um, I wouldn't yeah. mind having listened to that. I haven't heard oh. any. Oh, you, you want to hear some of that? I haven't heard this stuff and never listened to it. Rupert only, came out very well. Right. And we know that some of the tracks for Rupert go back to early 70s, like yeah. Ram, Ram period. Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah. yeah, I'll play some of that. That's fine. Um, I'll just start with the Rupert song. Once upon a time, there was a young white bear called Rupert. Synthesized up there. So you're, so you're on this. Maybe. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I can't deny it. <laughs> My name's on there. I can't get out. <laughs> yeah, I remember it now. The king explains that the north wind has gone out of control and is about to freeze the whole world over. Oh, sunshine, sunshine. We we really like this too. This was going to be like a musical or something, I would think. Maybe an animated film? Yeah. That was the idea. Again, shelved, like the cold cuts. Yeah. Yeah, whole whole album of stuff, and it's just. 
don't think he's not going to bring it out one day. do something like this, say an animated film, the work involved, the time it's going to take. The number of individuals. Correct. So that's probably why it was this. Right. We ain't got time to yeah, do all this Forget right this. Now. We're going on tour. I've done a musical myself and I've only performed it once. Yeah, we're going to get to that too. That's the other thing. But yeah, I mean, all this comes back, of course, but they do sound like demos to me a little bit. Mm, right. So yeah, so after the Tug of War Pipes of Peace album... You put out something in 82 called Anyone Can Fly, and this is another really, really great album, too. You've got Who Moved the World on there. You're very welcome. Anyone Can Fly is great. Like um, Various Shapes and Forms has almost like a Steve Miller vibe to it. (laughs) (laughs) Running running Around in Circles, the opening track, is really fun. This is the one that is half a reggae track and then turns into a country track complete with jaw harp and (laughs) banjo. Yeah. Right. I suppose I'm just trying to prove that you can do a song any way you like. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd, again, throwing in different influences was part of... Like, I mean, Beatles influenced a lot of people with this sort of two songs in one thing, you know, yeah. two styles, as you know. Sergeant Pepper is definitely like that, where keys go down to another song. It's almost a segue together. It's almost like the same song. That's what that was, the idea behind that was. Right. Don't go round it. probably started out as like a country thing <laughs> and then I turned it into the other thing in the studio you know because I wanted to see what it was like yeah. and so we kept them both yeah sometimes you do that yeah it's a cool idea it's a pretty it's seamless transition into the yeah. country part too. And, and again the problem being you know when time's your your own and you're not up against the deadline you're going to make those kind of mistakes <laughs> well <laughs> I don't know if it was a mistake well it's a partly a sort of Indulgence. Play basically every you play bass on this album, piano all over the album. So I mean, do you remember any of the sessions? Any good stories from this period of time? Eighty two, right after Wings. Is well, gone. you know, as I say, my big recollection, of course, is Montserrat and the uh, and the 
the general hanging out with the people, mm -hmm. you know, going down to the club and with Stevie and then he called me up to jam with him but I was outside you know <laughs> taking the air and instead of that I missed out on the jam because yeah, of course he was like God down there right. with all, all the, the natives and um, and there was a lot of Americans on the island too because they all the college out there or something and yeah it was a happening place and George Martin of course turned it into a big recording set up until the volcano took over that is. <laughs> yeah. right but uh, yeah it's it was just that thing again of freedom so i would um although i don't know, remember the tracks per se that i played on i know that i had that freedom to try things out you know and again time. again we were testing out equipment you know right. i'd have something delivered and then we'd try and that mm -hmm. it's a little bit like when we first stevie first came to london mm -hmm. with with the lindrum Mm -hmm. And the Lindrum, of course, was like, yeah, I mean, I've just been to that place in Chicago, the uh, Plastilla Music, where the original mm -hmm. sound effects and <laughs> yeah, yeah. the original, like, you know, organ sounds and stops and well, what do you get? You get an orchestra behind you by the pressing the keyboard. Same thing. You, you've you got drums that you can f sequence to a drum part. It doesn't right. sound like a drum kit. Yeah, no, but no, no, it, no. But he used it on, I just called to say, I love you. And it's just a very simple drum pattern. He left that with Paul as a present after that, the, the session he was doing with us. And he left it. And then, <laughs> of course, then, here we go, you know. <laughs> Happy Christmas time. <laughs> Here we go. And it was all part of everything that's, we did for the next few years. So that's Stevie Wonder. It's all his But, um, yeah, so trying things was a big thing for me. And I got into keyboards because, yeah, I mean, from live work, I had to play bass live. Right, right, and, right. And again, once in a while, and I decided to play Go Now myself live even though i didn't um do it on the album on my album my that's record. the live on the live album and yeah the because it was the only i was the only one who really could get the feel on the piano, on the piano. if you see it. so right right so then from then i on these albums or whatever paul would have something and then it wouldn't require two guitars so right. i'd just be plonking around the piano and come up with a part <laughs> It's a little bit like that other song we did, um, Baby's Request, where I played oh, a little bit of boogie, uh, ragtimey style. Oh, you're on the yeah. piano on that song? Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Do, 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 do. Yeah, so these are, these are things that I got into through default. Yeah. Just the fact that I was allowed to try things. Right. And that's really what that that album was. Again, it wasn't a band. You know, we didn't have we didn't have yeah, Wixie on keyboards. Studio, you know, yeah, Linda yeah. couldn't take care of any of that stuff, keyboard right. stuff. So I would have to just f figure out oh, okay. what to play. You know. With bruises on his face And a bottle by his side I was just a little boy I couldn't understand why I couldn't help it I ran away and cried And then I thought about it so hard Couldn't find an answer Till I looked about the sky saw a seal flying by 
Wow, that was something else, wasn't it? Yeah, we really learned a lot in this interview. And in part one, there were a few particular things that struck me. Anything that struck you? Denny is a sharp and very funny man. I totally understand why Paul chose him out of all of the people he could have chosen to form wings. Yeah, he kept us laughing, he no kept, doubt about it. And he was smart. He knew what he was talking about. He just had a grasp of everything that was going on. He's a great guy. I was also really disappointed and surprised to hear how poorly record companies have treated Denny and probably Paul and Wings throughout the years. Like, could you believe some of that? Yeah, when I compare some of those record company stories to the quality of the music, maybe that starts to explain a few things. Right, right. Because the right. music is awfully good. It's hard to, hard to believe that it's not available now, which we'll talk about in part two. But I think when people hear some of this music, they're going to be really surprised and happy. Yeah, things like, I know you like Ah Lane a lot. I had never heard that before. Yeah, I especially like that one. And for me, there was a particular revelation with that album in this interview, which is that the album was recorded definitely before Wings. Yeah. And yet... You and I both commented the first time we heard it, wow, sounds an awful lot like a Wings record. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a clue that Denny Lane really had a big role in shaping the sound of Wings. You know? A huge role. Listening to all of his solo albums, you can hear his unfiltered songwriting style. You can hear his sense of humor. You can hear his lyrical choices, his guitar playing. Especially the guitar playing. Right. Yep. I really think the guitar playing on Ah Lane really has that Wings sound. Also, the background vocals are already the background like, vocals. moving in that yeah. Wings harmony direction. Yeah. So I guess I wasn't wrong when I said he was the backbone of Wings then. That's right. Yeah. Any other interesting moments from part one for you? His ability to weave stories. And I think the fact that he forgot a lot of what <laughs> happened. Oh, the, yeah. And... We were able to, hey, remember this song? Remember this album? Oh, yeah. Or, or how about those moments where he's singing along? Oh, wow. Yeah, I love playing him those songs and watching them come back to him. And yeah, he starts singing along and commenting, and it's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciated hearing like the process and how they would just go off somewhere, rehearse a band... And then go to the studio, and that's how you'd make a record. It really yeah. is the opposite of how it is now, and it just shows you like how sharp these guys had to be, how much they had to hustle, and maybe how much the music business hasn't really changed all these years. I mean, it's true. Paul had a way of getting lost in the studio, and he did do lots of overdubs and lots of embellishments, but everything he did on those Wings records was happening on a foundation of good band, good ensemble yeah. playing. You didn't have Pro Tools, you didn't have computers, you didn't have... I liked how he would bring up sequencers and drum machines, and you got to imagine what was he even working on. That's right, and that's among the things we'll talk about in part two as we get into his work in the 80s. We'll also hear a little bit about Wings Over America in part two and a few other surprises. This is Ryan Brady with Chris Mercer, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> 